The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. We are covering these seven letters to seven churches. Seven being a, a number of completeness, a symbolic number of completeness in the book of Revelation. So through these seven letters to seven real churches, Jesus is addressing his complete church, his entire church, his people in all places at all times, including us right here. So Lindsay's going to pray for us and read our passage. Jesus, thank you so much that you speak to your people, that, that you are a God who reveals yourself and wants to be known. And I ask that you, Holy Spirit, would come and give us ears to hear. Um, I also ask that you would uh, be particularly near and comforting the Sperry family today um, and, and, and all of the friends of Debbie here um, who also grieve. Thank you that this is not forever. We will not grieve forever. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation 3, 7 through 13. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, the words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Lindsay. In the famous allegory for the Christian life, Pilgrim's Progress, the main character, Christian, early on, encounters a cross and that burden of his sin and guilt on his back in encountering the cross, that burden tumbles down a hill and into the mouth of an empty tomb, never to be seen again. And if you're here and, and you don't yet know Jesus, we're so glad you're here and that's the main thing I want you to hear today, is encountering the cross of Christ by faith takes away your sin and guilt. But for the character Christian then, now, encountering Christ, now he's going to have an easy life, right? Now he'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise, right? Well, in John Bunyan's genius, Christian soon after comes to the hill called difficulty. The hill called difficulty. That hill is high and steep and difficult to climb. But Christian says, quote, the hill, though high, I covet to ascend. The difficulty will not me offend, 
For I perceive the way to life lies here. Come, pluck up heart, neither faint nor fear. And he goes climbing up that hill. See, Bunyan is right. The pathway of discipleship, the pathway of following Jesus, inevitably involves climbing that hill called difficulty. For the Christians in this ancient city of Philadelphia, that hill meant persecution. They would not say, Caesar is Lord. They wouldn't indulge in the idolatry and immorality around them. So they faced a steep hill of difficulty called persecution. Our hill of difficulty is not the same. But we are on the same pathway of discipleship. So this passage, friends, relates directly to us. We're on the same pathway of following Jesus, where our own hill of difficulty will come. You might be climbing that hill right now, or you will be soon. It might be with your job. It might be with your finances. It might be with your family, your kids, or your parents, or your siblings. It might be with some other relationship. It might be with your health. It might be that you are here and you are weary and just plain tired. That's the hill I'm talking about. And the question is, how can we respond like the character Christian? How can we say with Christian, pluck up heart, neither faint nor fear, and keep on climbing to the end? How can we do that? What will enable us? What will enable you to keep climbing this hard, difficult, often painful hill all the way to the end? Well, that is precisely what Jesus addresses here with this ancient church. His answer could be summarized simply as, see Jesus and believe his promises. Nice, simple strategy. See Jesus and believe his promises. That, that's, the, that's the one nail I want to hammer with you. See Jesus and believe his promises. That, that's how we persevere on the pathway of discipleship and climb the hill of difficulty all the way to the end. You need to see Jesus and believe his promises. Let's see both of those parts together in this passage. First, first, we must see Jesus, especially as revealed here. Let us see him beginning in verse 7. Verse 7 says, And to the angel or messenger of the church in Philadelphia, in present-day Turkey, not Pennsylvania, write the words of, the, the solemn pronouncement of, the Holy One. Now Jesus is here pulling on, as he does in every letter, the vision of himself from chapter 1, where he has in chapter 1 hair white like wool, like snow, eyes aflame of fire, face shining like the sun. He's the Holy One now addressing us. And the true one, the faithful and true one, whose every word is absolutely trustworthy. 
and verse 7, he is the one who has the key of David. Who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one will open, or no one opens. In Isaiah 22, a guy named Eliakim is going to be named steward over the household of King Hezekiah. God says that Eliakim will be given, quote, the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. He shall shut and none shall be opened. Sound familiar? John's drawing on Isaiah 22. You see, Eliakim is given binding authority to make decisions, binding authority over things like who may enter the king's presence and who may not. And Jesus is saying, that's true of me. In an ultimate sense. Absolute authority over who enters Jesus' presence, over who enters his saving reign as king, and who does not. The one who died and rose and reigns and is returning, he alone has that key to his kingdom, his saving kingdom. You know, there's a famous key ceremony that takes place every night in the Tower of London. That's where the British crown jewels are kept. It's a symbol of that entire kingdom. And for centuries now, at exactly 9.53 p.m., every night, the chief yeoman carries a candle lantern, still lit by candles, and a set of keys jangling at his side. And then he's joined by a military escort, and together they march until they reach an archway, where a sentry cries out, Halt! Who comes there? And the chief yeoman says, The keys. Whose keys? The sentry replies, The king's keys. And the sentry says, Pass! All is well. And then the yeoman locks the tower for the night. He alone has those keys. He alone determines who can enter that tower. That's what Jesus is talking about. But for a far, far more important kingdom. For the Christian, to enter Jesus' saving kingdom, you had to repent and believe the good news. But here's what ultimately happened. He opened that door for you. Oh, you had to repent and believe the gospel. But here's what really happened. He opened that kingdom door, and here he's saying, you know what, Christians in Philadelphia and La Mesa, no one can shut that door to you. So that when you die, and you leave your earthly body, and your soul approaches that heavenly city, and the angelic sentry says, halt, who comes there? You can say, the king who alone has the key He said he opened the door, and no one can shut it. And then you too, Christian, will hear, pass, all is well. So let us see Jesus, friends, who opens and no one shuts for his people into his saving kingdom. And then he gives us promises. Promises that can be like ropes to help you climb the hill called difficulty. So see Jesus and then believe his promises here. 
three promises, especially in this passage, three main promises at least. Vindication, protection, and security. There are more promises, but those three main ones. Vindication, protection, and security. So having seen Jesus, let us believe his promise first of vindication. The Holy One, the True One, says He knows their works. And then, for this church, has only commendation. He describes their works at the second half of verse 8. Second half of verse 8. He says, I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. They have been faithful to Him through the persecution. They've continued identifying with Jesus despite the cost, despite the sacrifice, some having lost jobs, some having lost friends and family connections, but they did not deny his name. So Jesus says, I got a promise for you. Verse 9, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, catch this promise. I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Apparently, some Jewish people in Philadelphia were in some fashion assisting with the persecution of the Christians. So that's why Jesus refers to them as a, quote, synagogue of Satan. That's not an anti-Semitic statement. It's a theological one. He's saying, if you oppress my people... You're aligning yourself with the devil's purposes. But a day is coming, he says, when the Christians in Philadelphia will be seen for who they really are. Now, maybe that involves many in the Jewish community coming to faith in Christ. It's hard to know exactly. But this much is clear. Others will, at some point, acknowledge that he has loved these persecuted Christians, these outcasts. A striking vindication. I, I have shared before how, I don't know, I, I'm, a, I'm a sentimental guy. I like watching those YouTube clips of America's Got Talent or Britain's Got Talent when there is someone that you think is gonna just bomb and be awful, and then they shock the audience and the judges with how amazing they are in singing. I think, in my mind, the classic example is a lady named Susan Boyle. She came out looking very middle-aged like myself. I think you could in love say she looked kind of frumpy. When asked about her goal, she said it was to be a professional singer. The audience laughed. The judges quietly scoffed. And then she began to sing. She sang a difficult song from the musical Les Miserables. And by a few, just a little bit into the song, the audience is on their feet, cheering her on. The judges are stunned because they see who she really is, a fantastic singer. That's how it's going to be for you, Christian. Vindication. When one day, in some form or fashion, all see who you really are and how Jesus has loved you, 
Now, that's a helpful promise. Why? Because in this life, following Jesus, you will often look foolish in the eyes of others around you. You will look like a fool in the eyes of this world. You probably already do if you are overtly living for Jesus. That's one aspect of the hill called difficulty, is it not? One aspect of the hill called difficulty is you're going to be rejected. You're going to get slandered. You're going to look foolish in the eyes of others. People are going to think or say you're living for a lie. You're living for a joke. You're living for some kind of outdated belief. They're going to say to you, you're on the wrong side of history. For biblical convictions on things like gender and sexuality, they're going to say, you are on the wrong side of history. You better come to the right side of history. And that has some sway on our hearts, doesn't it? I mean, who wants to be on the wrong side of history's evaluation with things like slavery and Jim Crow laws and the impression of women? I don't want to be there. But Jesus says, my people are on the right side of history when you have a long-term view. You know, from a long-term perspective, all will see how he has loved you. Maybe, maybe it's in the workplace or for school or your neighborhood or your family where people think you're kind of foolish for following Christ or at least a bit odd. I think my extended family would say, Tab is at least a bit odd. You know, youth, teenagers, kids, kids. It's going to be uncool to follow Jesus in the eyes of others. You're going to have to reckon with that. You're going to have to embrace that. It's going to be uncool. You're not going to be approved of. The people around you don't yet know Jesus are not going to applaud you kids for following Jesus. Teenagers, you got to be okay with this. You got to embrace that if you're going to follow him. So here's some advice take the long view. Take the long view, brother, sister, young person, when people say you're on the wrong side of history. Don't get angry. Take the long view. Take the long view when you're slandered and rejected. Because one day, one day you will see and others will see how he has loved you. Believe his promise of vindication. Second, second, believe his promise of protection. Spiritual protection. Believe his promise, secondly, of spiritual protection. The Holy One, the True One, having the key to His kingdom, says in verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, patiently enduring. Notice, I will keep you. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth, the unbelieving world. You know, some have taught that Jesus is here promising to take His church out of the world prior to an end-time tribulation, a, a rapture of his people before an end-time 
worldwide trial. That's not, I believe, what is in view. The closest parallel in the original language is what Jesus prays to his Father for his people in John 17, where he prays, I do not ask, Father, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Same verb, same preposition. Jesus asked not to take us from physical suffering, but to protect us from spiritual harm. I think that's what's in view in Revelation 3. I think a better translation might be, I will keep you through the hour of trial. And with that promise, he gives them one command. Only one command in this whole letter. No rebuke, only commendation, one command. Verse 11, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hold fast or hold firmly. Hold firmly to the gospel, the good news. Hold firmly to those you're joined with in the gospel. Hold firmly to your witness with the gospel because I have a crown for you. I have a victor's wreath for you. So we have here, notice, a promise of spiritual protection and a command to hold fast. A promise that the Lord will keep you and a command to hold fast. That might seem like a contradiction, but it's not, because the promise will fuel the command. The promise will fuel the command. Early on in my ministry as a pastor, as Tim and Jody can tell you, I viewed my role primarily as helping people with their sanctification, helping people identify sin, and fight against sin. As I've gotten older, and I hope wiser, I view my role more as helping people persevere, hold fast, make it to the end. Now, sanctification is part of our perseverance. Sanctification is an important part of your perseverance. Sanctification has a real role in perseverance, but I was missing the big picture. I was missing the bigger goal. I was missing verse 11. Hold fast. And now I, I love to take people to John chapter 10, where Jesus says of his people, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here, here's the connection. If you know that he is holding you in his hand, you have faith to hold fast. You have hope for holding fast. If you know that he's protecting you from spiritual harm, keeping you, that gives you confidence to keep going no matter how high the heat or how steep the hill of difficulty may get for you. So whatever you're going through right now, please, please catch this. Please listen. No spiritual harm will befall you because Christ is going to keep you and hold you. The judgment to come will not touch you. The evil one will not get the final word. He will not get his way fully or finally. Believe that, and so hold fast. 
promise of vindication, promise of protection. And thirdly, believe his promise, friends, of security, heavenly security. Believe his promise of heavenly security, heavenly security. The holy one, the true one, having the key to his kingdom, he says next, verse 10, uh, verse 12, rather, sorry, verse 12. The one who conquers, who overcomes, who is victorious is the sense. The one who is victorious, holding fast to the end, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. A pillar speaks of stability. It speaks of permanence. It speaks of security forever in the presence of your king. But that's not all. He goes on, and, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. All of that is really speaking of one thing, belonging. Belonging to God, and so belonging to that heavenly city as a true citizen of that heavenly city in Christ. It's interesting, Philadelphia, this ancient city, was leveled by an earthquake prior to this, and the emperor largely paid for the rebuilding of the city, so for a time they called Philadelphia by a new name. Neo-Caesarea, Caesar's new city. Hear the connection? Jesus promises to write, on you, the name of a far better city, the new Jerusalem. That means you'll be a citizen of that heavenly place, safe and secure. Why does that matter? Well, when you're climbing the hill called difficulty, which you are or will be soon, in some trial, in some suffering, some difficulty, some hardship, life feels very unstable. Things feel very insecure. Can you relate to that? From our perspective, from our vantage point, when we suffer, everything feels unstable. Everything feels like sinking sand. Maybe that's where you are right now. The job feels unstable is from our perspective. Health feels unstable. Family situation feels unstable. You look to your future, it feels unstable. And you, you feel like you're going through your own personal earthquake, don't you? And you long for something, anything to make you feel secure. Jesus promises utter stability for your sense of instability, a pillar in God's presence forever. He promises complete security for your sense of insecurity. Symbolically, you're going to wear like a name tag, his name, the name of the heavenly city on you so that you can say, I belong here. I'm a blood-bought citizen of this place, the New Jerusalem. I read this week about the company Google having what they called a Kodak moment because they're falling behind in the AI race. A Kodak moment 
some of you may know, is from the Eastman Kodak Company, failing to see the transformation that digital photography brought. They didn't foresee, the Kodak Company didn't foresee how digital cameras would take over for traditional film cameras. So having a Kodak moment is not foreseeing an obvious future. God does not want you to have a Kodak moment about your future. He doesn't want you having a Kodak moment as you climb the hill of difficulty. He wants you to derive help from a sure, certain, secure, heavenly future. I was with Tim Sperry a couple of times this week, and I share this with his permission. His wife, Debbie, our beloved sister, is with the Lord as of yesterday afternoon. Debbie has conquered. Debbie overcame. Listen, cancer was not victorious. Debbie was. Debbie held fast to Jesus all the way to the end. On last Tuesday, the last day that Debbie spoke in this life, she said to Tim, I'm ready to see Jesus. There, there's no Kodak moment there. I'm ready to see Jesus. And now she has crested that hill called difficulty because she could see a, a sure future. That's what God has for you and me, that we would hold fast. So friends, let this passage be like an, an eye doctor for you, giving you an eye exam, clicking in lens after lens to clarify your vision, and help you see Jesus the Holy One, the True One, with the key to His kingdom who opens for you a door to His saving reign that no one can shut. See Him and believe His promises. Promises like ropes to help you climb the hill of difficulty. Pull on the promise of vindication. All will see how He has loved you. Pull on the promise of protection. He's keeping you from the evil one and the judgment to come. Pull on the promise of security. You'll be secure, utterly secure, forever in his presence. That's how we can say with Christian, the character Christian, come, pluck up heart. Let's neither faint nor fear and climb that hill to the end. But I don't want to leave you today with any kind of impression that it's the strength of your faith that gets you to the end. I want to leave you with Jesus. I want to leave you with the words of another Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, who said, weak faith can cling to a strong Christ. You're going to want to write that down. Weak faith can cling 
to a strong Christ. That's how we take this home with us and live it out. Our weak faith. We're like the people in Philadelphia, right? Little power. That's tab. Little power. Little power, Grace Church. But you know what? Our weak faith, it's clinging to a strong Christ. The Holy One, the True One, opens the door that no one can shut. Let's pray to him. Let's pray that we would see and believe. And all this, friends, means that we must be, we must be right with this king. So if you don't yet know him, you can cry out to him right now. You can say, Jesus, I mean, you might be a, a, a child here. You can pray this. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I believe you did. Jesus, please open that door to your kingdom and bring me to yourself. You can pray to Jesus, kids, guests. Sorry. Sorry for my sins. Thank you for dying. Please open that door. Come to my life. Bring me to yourself. And he promises not to drive away any who come to him. Pray that even now, or pray to see more of Jesus as you climb the hill of difficulty, Christian. Pray to behold more of his power and glory and his love for you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for these letters. Thank you for the church in Philadelphia from whom we can learn so much on this pathway of discipleship. Help us, our Lord, to see more of you through the lens of your word and by the power of your spirit. And help us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to believe these glorious promises that you will bring us home. And like Debbie, we're going to see Jesus. Help us even now, we ask you. In his name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.